0: Welcome to our podcast for Generations in Family Business, past, present, and future. I'm your host today, Matt Kirzner, and I'm a senior manager at the Center for Family Business Excellence. And today I have two great guests. My first guest is Alan Geller, who is a managing director of the Reigns International. It's a retained executive search firm. Thank you, Alan, for joining us today. And our second guest is Nkrumah Pierre who is the director of business development, as well as running our friends of the firm. And he'll tell us a little bit more about that as we go along. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Matt. Really glad to be here.
0: Excellent, excellent. So let's just jump right into this conversation, right? An executive search and and recruiting is a very important topic that a lot of businesses need to really understand when they're looking for um, executives. So I would really like to know, please advise, Why is it important for organizations to think about using professional recruiters when looking for professionals and executives?
1: Well, for the most part, it's about who they're trying to hire. Um, An executive search firm, a retained executive search firm, is better off working on leadership type of roles, either CEO, CFO, direct reports to those people, as opposed to a manager-level role. Uh, We have a, a full research function, we go in and we identify who the leaders are within organizations
2: and then recruit them for your organization. Oh, that's
0: great. And Kruma, what's your thoughts on that?
2: Absolutely. So I actually come from the contingent side of the house. I did contingent search for about eight and a half years in the city, a little bit different than, uh, than retained, but to Alan's point, um, with regards to contingent, I think the biggest and the most important part is really culture fit. Uh, within an organization, getting an idea of the types of professionals who thrive in this environment specifically, whether it be um, a certain demographic, a certain background, public or private, um, really getting an idea for the feel of the organization. That's great. So just for our audience,
0: uh, I would love to know the difference between retain right? So, and contingent. So if you sure. can explain retain and you can explain contingent, and well, from, I think I, I that'd can, be great for the audience.
1: Well, a retained firm works with a retainer. So a fee is established in advance. And our fee is one third of the first year's annual estimated compensation, which reads cash, no equity or things of that nature. And we'll establish a retainer, say on a search that's two hundred thousand dollars where there's a bonus on top and additional perks. We might establish a retainer of one third of the two hundred thousand, which will be paid in three equal increments. A fourth increment is paid to equal up when the person is hired at a rate above
2: the number that we initially determined.
0: That's great, and increment? And yes.
2: So with regard to contingent versus retained, so on the contingent side of the house, typically it's a 25% fee of the annual salary um, and the person has to make a 90-day guarantee. Now, if the person only makes it to the 87th or the 88th day, They get the client gets a 100% refund back on that fee, right? Or what some search firms do is they keep the fee and they say we'll refill it for free.
1: One of the when we're talking about differences, sure. So with a retained firm, our guarantee is a year. And when you're talking about more senior level people, sometimes it takes a little bit longer to figure it out. Sure. Other Mm -hmm. than you know 60 or 90 days. In addition. If for some reason, the firm changes their mind as to what needs to get done, whether somebody walks in and that you hire them, we stop and your obligation is only for time spent. The other piece that's different is we're looking for people who are not actively looking for jobs, people who are happy in their role. And the idea is that maybe somebody can make you happier.
0: So Alan, that raises the next question here and that's how do you source your candidates?
1: We'll use utilize three methods. On February 1st, 2019, we will be celebrating 50 years.
0: Oh, congratulations.
1: We nice. have a database that exceeds several hundred thousand candidates, so that certainly is always the first piece of every search. The second piece is what I call the usual suspects. Since we've been doing searches for so many years that are similar, we have a list of candidates that become wonderful referral sources you know um, reliable sources are critical one of the things because we've been around so long and, and we're we're a very sizable firm we have 27 consultants and offices in New York Boston San Francisco and Bentonville Arkansas so that's the first and the second piece the third piece is what I call the original search where we identify companies that have similarities similarities to the hiring company, multi billion dollar multinational global consumer products, or a privately held 200 million dollar company. Well, the CFO at that company is going to do the same thing as the CFOs at all the other two, three, four hundred million dollar companies. So we're going to source those people That's to identify potential fits in terms of technical. And then the interview process starts.
0: Excellent. So I'm with Friends of the Firm. Mm-hmm.
2: How, how, how do you go about sourcing candidates and also working with recruiters? Absolutely. So it's a little bit different. So on the Friends of the Firm side, in order to be part of Friends of the Firm, you must be introduced by a partner or employee at Eisner Amper. That's first. Either you were a former client, um, a prospective client, and or a former employee. So an alum. That's how you get into the program. Um, with regard to recruiting, again, we're not a full-fledged recruiting firm, right? So we, you know, we're very transparent about that. Um, we're more like the facilitators, if you will. So we have this database of about 4,000 CFOs and controllers nationally, um, and then we have positions that get posted on our Friends of the Firm website where you know it's a public site, but it's not publicly um, advertised, if you will. So the folks that know about it can access it. Um, we have about 60 to 70 jobs at any given time and candidates who are part of the Friends of the Firm program can actually go on the website, apply directly to the hiring manager, send their resume directly and kind of copy us. Now the way we work with search firms such as rains International and others is that we allow the search firm to actually post the job on our Friends of the Firm site. Resumes will go directly to the search um, firm professional for example, Alan, and the resume will go directly to him. And if he wants to submit that candidate for a job, he can. Mm -hmm. We ask for no commission fees, no part of the fee. Our only ask is, if you place one of our friends of the firm members, that you let us know. And the beauty of it is, we're basically banking on the goodwill, right? The Mm -hmm. goodwill of getting someone an introduction or an opportunity to um, interview for a job. And hopefully, if they get that job, the goodwill is that, listen, if, if Eisner Amper is able to place you and it does not cost the company a fee outside of working with a search firm, um, hopefully we save them 50, 60, 70 grand mm-hmm. and that comes back where if they have tax issues or need an audit, they at least give us a shot.
0: That's great. So if there's a organization that we work with or mm-hmm. is, is interested in Eisner-Amper and they want to participate in Friends of the Firm, how do they
2: learn about us. Absolutely. So, great question. Um, They can contact me directly. Again, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on the website. EisnerAmper.com slash fof. Excellent. Thank you for that information. So, I'm going to change gears for a minute and I
0: want to talk a little bit about the methodology of of recruitment. Now, I'm a big fan of the STAR model. STAR stands for Situation, Tasks, Action, and Results. And I use this when I get into behavior-based interviewing and I use behavior assessments to find the cultural fit for the candidate in the organization. Specifically and, and Kruma we talked about this looking for non-family members and family businesses, right, right? right? So that's where I get really involved in the methodology of the STAR model. But Alan I would love to hear from you what methodology works for you that's really successful?
1: Well when you think about interviewing there's a variety of methodologies. There's certainly the behavior model works and it's very effective, but there's also a traditional type of interview where you're talking about chronologies and why's and wheres, but there's also telephone interviews, there's also group interviews. So there's a variety of different methodologies. We like a thing that's called top grading. Uh, there is a psychologist PhD in Atlanta. His name is Jeff Smart and he is he wrote a book along with one of his colleagues called Who?" the A method of hiring and essentially it's how do you hire A players, which is what search firms are paid to do. You know, it, and we talked earlier about the leadership type of level that a search firm is being paid for versus contingency, which are middle-level managers, lower-level things like that, where you're just you're looking to get a, a significant number of potential candidates to be interviewed. Whereas with a search firm, you're looking for Fewer people, so you want three or four or five candidates at most that have been interviewed and vetted. And in order to vet them, you need to understand how to interview them. So we use this this top grading uh, methodology. Uh, He wrote a book. Not going to plug it here, but it's when you do the whole thing, their method, it's seven hours and they get paid about $10,000 a pop to interview candidates final candidates for companies. A good friend of mine was spent a full day down in Atlanta interviewing with these guys. Mm-hmm. And they very specific about how they interview, what the questions are and so on. And we use that methodology primarily.
0: Excellent. Thank you. So another thing I want to kind of touch upon here is what are some of the pitfalls organizations should look for when seeking candidates, right? What what should they be looking for to make sure They don't hire,
1: I'm going to use the word, a lemon. (laughs) Or a lime. Or a lime. (laughs) We're trying to be fully diverse here. Um, Becoming too enamored of credentials and image and employment history without focusing on the individual for the fit is really the issue. When you get somebody who is working at a top-tier company who has credentials from Ivy League schools and top-10 MBA your your assumption is, well, they're really smart and they work really hard and so on, and that's probably correct, but you also have to evaluate who they are as an individual in order to see if they fit in, into the company. When you're talking about midsize or family businesses, people like that can upset apple carts mm-hmm. because they have to be able to read the room, and sometimes you know, the first generality you got to accept is that there's no generalities that are generally acceptable. But with that said, you have to be careful about being a, coming enamored of where they're from or who
2: they work for or where they're educated. That's a good point. I think another piece is not being afraid of the jumpy candidate. And the reason I say that, um, when I say jumpy, meaning every year the person has had a new job, right? Now, I'm not saying that's not a red flag because sometimes it is, but you also have to remember that different people thrive in different environments. I'll use myself as an example, right? In the first part of my professional career, the first five to six years, I jumped around quite a bit. But when I found the spot or the organization that could um, develop me, where I could really flourish, I stayed there for, you know, three, four, five years. My point is, yes, if you have a new job every single year, yes, red flag, be aware of that. But that shouldn't preclude someone, or exclude someone from an interview. Mm. I think when people take chances, right, or they hire or at least interview that atypical candidate, a lot of times from what I've found with my clients and my contacts is that they're surprised and that person does really, really well inside their organization. So my thing is, don't always look at their background and all the jobs they've had, but think about what they can bring to the table. And maybe that person is a professional consultant. Right? Having a job every year for four or five years allows you to have experiences and networks at four or five different companies, and that could be a value add. That's excellent, excellent. However, yep. there are certain,
1: there's a certain amount of maturity that goes into making a decision and sticking it out as supposed to being the first rat off the ship. Yep, And not to necessarily disagree, but to just put a caution out that if someone changes jobs relatively frequently, and when they change their job, they get a promotion, but they didn't get a promotion at the company they're with mm. and the people who know them, that should be an indicator that you need to be more careful. And it's not to say that you shouldn't interview the people, but do you? how long does it take to train somebody to come work for you? Six months? A year? How much so your time and money is invested in that? And they are so smart. They get bored easily. So it really depends upon the environment that they're in and what their rationale for changing. The other question about them is, how sound is their judgment? You know, sometimes, oh, my company was taken over. Oh, they moved. How sound was your judgment when you went there? Did you know that in advance? Right, did you do your due diligence? Right, Right. because if you don't, what are you going to get when you're making decisions for me?
0: Well, I want to thank both of you Alan and Nkrumah, this has been a great discussion. And uh, I want to thank all the listeners uh, to listening in to the generations of family business, past, present, and future, uh, as part of the Eisner Amper podcast series. If you have any questions or if there's any topic you'd like for us to cover, please email us at contact at contactEisnerAmper.com. You can also visit EisnerAmper.com for more information on this and other host of other topics that we have. We look forward to having you listen to our next Eisner Amper podcast.